Grab a brew, listen up, and get back to you. This is Things I Wish I'd Known podcast. Hello, you awesome beings. Before we hop into today's episode, I really want to share something with you. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will know I don't self-promote my services on here. But this week, we are celebrating a huge milestone. It is Happy Habits Club's third birthday. I can't believe we've been together for three years in the community. And I wanted to share with you guys a little offer that I've put together to celebrate our birthday. So I'm hoping you're going to bear with me for the next couple of minutes just before we jump into today's episode and enjoy hearing about some of the people in the club and the benefits that they've received from it to see whether it's right for you too. So Happy Habits Club is a female only membership for people that are interested in self-development, healing, spirituality. And I want to share with you a story from one of my members. I've changed her name to keep her anonym. I can never say that word. Anonymity. <laughs> so we're going to call her Olivia for the purpose of this. But I set up Happy Habits Club because when I was struggling with depression, anxiety, when I had my PTSD, my life felt completely out of control. I really, really struggled with so many different things. And there was so much information out there that I felt really overwhelmed and I didn't know what to follow. I was trying all these different self-help courses and was spending loads of money and time. And a lot of it, to be honest, wasn't particularly useful. Some of it I found a little bit culty, dare I say. Um, And I wanted to create a space that was down to earth, fun, that where people could feel supported, where you could get the best quality information. You didn't have to go and search for it. And Happy Habits Club was born. I also wanted a space where you weren't going to feel overwhelmed. And that's why it's Happy Habits Club, one habit at a time. Let's just do it slowly, guys. Let's not rush ourselves into oblivion. So let me share with you Olivia's story because before she joined the club, she had doubts and she was worried that it wasn't going to work for her. And she was really struggling in her work life and her personal life. She spent a lot of time, as did I when I was experiencing burnout, worrying about what her colleagues thought of her at work, whether she was actually any good at her job, whether she deserved to be there. And she dreamed of getting promoted to the next level in her career. But she really didn't have the confidence to even apply for the promotion. And deep down, She feared, I think, that she was not good enough, that she wasn't going to be able to do it. Outside of work, she found herself constantly in uncomfortable social situations. She would end up going to things she didn't want to go to, like Hindus, events, parties, and spend loads of money, even though she didn't even want to be there. And she found herself consistently playing this role of people pleaser and peacekeeper between friends that maybe didn't get on so well. And she was exhausted trying to be everything to everyone and feeling really disconnected from herself. Now, in just a few months, Olivia went from being stressed out, anxious, and on the brink of burnout to actually getting that promotion that she wanted at work. And I can't tell you how friggin' excited we were in the club. We do a thing called Wishes, Whinges, Wins every week, and people can share um, about their life. And when she shared her win, that not only did she get the promotion, but she also won this award for being the most improved person on her team we all cheered her. We were so friggin' excited for her because we knew that that was what she wanted to do. She also freed up her bank balance and her time because she improved her boundaries, not only with work, but with her friends too. And she booked her first ever solo retreat trip, which she had been dreaming about for years. So we were super, super happy for her. And it was all because she decided to join the Happy Habits Club. So this is what Olivia had to say about the club. Rachel and the people in the Happy Habits Club support me if I've had a bad or challenging day. It's nice to know that once a week we can all get together. I've been through such a transformational journey the last few years, and it was through the help of the club. So if you think it's not possible for you, getting rid of stress and anxiety, getting a handle on your life is totally doable. It really is. And you don't need 
to spend all your money on crazy self-help courses with complicated practices. You don't need hundreds of hours of therapy. You don't need this huge well-being to-do list. You don't need to be getting up at 5 a.m. I mean, unless you really want to, but that's not really my vibe. So you can be supported every step of the way in your healing journey through the club. And at the moment, because it is our birthday, I'm giving you 33% off for the next three months. So what you're going to get if you sign up is live events, regular live events where we meet and we do things like gong baths, we do meditation classes, we do mindful movement, um, we teach about the nervous system, about the mind, about limiting beliefs, we do some manifestation stuff. There's also all the replays, discounts to in-person retreats, and obviously the access to the Happy Habits Hub. Now, the hub is accessible via an app, but also on your phone, um, on your laptop. And it's like a Netflix of well-being. There's hundreds of workshops teaching you everything you need to know from hormonal health, nutrition, um, all the way through to mindset stuff, meditation. There's mini courses in there, guided meditations, yoga nidras, everything you can ever dream of. That's going to help you to build your confidence and build inner peace as well. And I know it can be scary, right? I've been there and there's a million reasons why now might not be the right time for you. But I want you to ask yourself the question, if you're not going to start today, when are you going to start? Because if you start today, your future self is going to thank you in, in a few months time. So if you're struggling to get a handle on your stress and anxiety, if your mind and emotions are playing absolute havoc with your life, then take this opportunity to change. Come and join us. Let us support you. Let us teach you what we know and get the third birthday deal. It's 33% off for the next three months. So it's just over 20 pounds a month. And I can't wait to meet you in the club. Come and join us. I'm so excited. Um, you can also get 33% off the first three months of working me one-to-one, but that's only available to the first two people that sign up because um, I can't afford to give it to everyone. Sorry. Um, so yeah, come join us. And I hope you enjoy today's episode of the podcast. There's a link below to get the offer. And if not, just enjoy today's episode. Thanks so much for being here. Much love. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known, the podcast where we create positive change through conversation with your host, Rachel Welford. And today I'm really excited because I'm talking with Anne-Marie Zanzel and she's a purposeful empowerment coach, but she works and has an incredible story working with people who are coming out. She works a lot in the queer communities and she's worked in hospices and all kinds of things. So her life story is going to be incredible. And I know she's going to have some insane nuggets of wisdom that are going to help all of you, especially if you've got people in your family or friends who are maybe um, queer or part of the LGBTQIA community, or if you yourself are thinking about coming out or have recently come out, this is going to be the episode for you. So thank you so much for being here, Anne-Marie. It's really lovely to meet you. It's lovely to meet you as well, Rachel. And thank you so much for having me. I would love to know, because you've literally got this quite insane story, right? So you've a graduate from Yale, mm -hmm. which is a, a huge thing in itself. You've been an ordained minister, a bereavement counsellor, and now you work as a business coach and helping people come out. And I love what you said as well in your bio about being a spiritual wanderer. <laughs> and then I later am a spiritual in life, wanderer. lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I want that. That's such a great <laughs> spiritual wanderer. So I might adopt that for myself. So how, how did you get into doing what you're doing now? Well, it was when, you know, I've always been a caretaker um, professionally. You know, I worked as a chaplain for years. Before that, I worked for Girl Scouts as adult development and training. So I've always been in the like helping fields. And so when I came out later in life at um, 50, um, I really had a, a really hard time. And so uh, finding resources, finding people to help, finding community was really extremely challenging and difficult. So 
Um, it was the third time I had tried to come out. And so I Googled late in life lesbian. Thank God for Google. And I found a Facebook group and that Facebook group changed my life because women in that group were talking about things that I had only thought about in my head. And of course, like we talked about and before the before we started recording, I thought, you know, I thought I was the only one. And um, we're never the only one. And so when I found that community, that's what changed my life. And so then after a couple of years, I decided to create my own community. Yeah, I think community is so important as well. Mm -hmm. I know in my experience um, with my mental health, you know, that was super important to me and why similarly, why I love, I have a club, Happy Habits Club. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think when, when you've had that feeling of community and that feeling of, oh my God, I'm not the only one. (laughs) Yes. I'm not the only one. All this stuff going on in my head. I'm not the only one. It just feels so refreshing to be around people who understand and you don't feel like such an alien, you know? Well, yeah. And also too, in, in communities like that, oftentimes there's a mixture of people from people just starting out to people that are three, four, five, six years down the road. And so for me, it was really helpful to have the experienced voices of people who were further ahead of me on this journey. And so the, the very sage advice they gave when I had a freak out and stuff like that, that was, I'm so grateful for them. And they're all anonymous. I don't remember who it was or who said what, but um, they changed, they really helped me like sort of shift the paradigm in which I look at the world. Oh, I love that shift the paradigm of how I look at the world. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. What? So let's, in fact, using that, let's look at, so what was your paradigm like before you came well, out? I grew up, so I grew up in a very conservatively religious household. Um, about 80% of people who come out later in life tend to grow up in some sort of conservative religious household, Mm. um, either from, you know, it doesn't really matter which faith tradition, um, or if they haven't, their parents did. So those values that their parents had, even though they don't practice a faith tradition anymore, often, you know, come into like how they're raised. And so I was raised in a pretty traditional Catholic home. Um, my mother, I mean, sex was bad you know, like, so like when I, like my mother fully expected me to, and my mother was older too. So she Mm. was an older generation. She didn't have me until she was 40. And so the expectations for me was that I was going to wait until I was married. And so when I, when I didn't, because, you know, it was the 1980s and I was 18, 19, um, I felt a tremendous, it wasn't that great. And it felt a lot of tremendous guilt, but I, I just chalked it up to the guilt I had mm. of being raised in a very conservative religious environment. And so my expectations as a woman, like many women have, was to get married and to have children. Now, fully wanting children. I always did want kids. Um, And so I did exactly that. I got married and I had children. I mean, there was some stuff before all that. Um, And I was somebody who was like one of those people that sort of knew that I might not be straight, but I didn't have the language around it. And also I didn't have any community. Mm -hmm. Um, It was also 19, like eight and late 1980s. And for those of us who grew up then or who were of age then, it was terrifying with the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. And, you know, not only queer sex was terrifying, but straight sex was terrifying, you know, because you could, you could die. And so that really colored, I think a lot of my younger years. And um, so I just sort of put it away. And like a lot of women, I was raising three children. I have four, but I was raising three children and they were all under five. And I didn't think about my sexuality or about myself for years and years and years. And so it was in 2006, I read an article in Oprah Winfrey magazine, which talked about the fluidity of women's sexuality. And it basically, it was a lot of women who, the story was about women who had been, who were with women now after they had been married to men. And I had such a joyous reaction because I all of a sudden realized that even though I had started down the straight path, I didn't have to stay at it forever. And in fact, I said to my oldest daughter at the time who was 16, she's now 31. um, Hey, you know, if something ever happens to dad and I don't, don't be surprised if I end up with being with a woman. 
And she said, okay, mom. And she has no recollection of that conversation whatsoever. And I tell that story all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what you were talking about. I don't remember that. But that's because I raised my children as good little progressives. So it just was yeah. like, okay, whatever. Um, so that was the beginning of the a 10 year journey for me where I would stick my toe out of the closet and put it back in, stick it out, Mm. put it back in and sought help from therapists and got really horrible advice, was told it was a phase asked, you know, when I told the therapist, you know, I think I might be gay. She said, have you ever slept with the woman? I said, no. Um, and then we never talked about it again. And so I was not wise enough to know that that's not a marker. Yeah, and that's a bit like yet. saying to someone who's straight, like, have you ever had sex with a man? No. Well, how do you yeah. know you're straight then? Oh, yeah, you're no, you're perfect, right. Okay, Rachel. right. That's exactly one of the examples I always use. And so um, what I realized, though, is that I was looking for validation from the professionals. And the only person who can name my sexuality and or gender identity is me. Yeah, Nobody absolutely. else can. And so when I learned to claim my voice that is when things started to change. Yeah, it sounds like from what you're sharing, and I know for a lot of people, coming out is a really complex and almost ongoing process. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's some, I think a lot of people think it's this kind of, you know, one thing that happens where you just blurt it out and go, I'm gay or I'm queer or I'm trans or I'm whatever. And then everyone goes, okay. And then life, you know, just goes on and it isn't. It's a much more... um, in my experience, I mean, I'm straight personally, but I've got friends, you know, who are in the LGBTQ community. And so, you know, it seems like this ongoing process where things change over time. And I was wondering if you in your work have seen like commonalities with people's experiences or if everybody's experience is really different. Well, everybody's, you know, there's always similar threads to the story. So typically people who come out later in life, they fall into three categories. The first is the most common, which is um, somebody who falls in love with somebody. Yeah. Now, they fall in love with their best friend. They they meet a woman at work. They um, uh, they may you know um, you know just run into somebody and they fall in love. And for some of those people, it is like a complete shock of the to the system. And in our community, we call that a catalyst. So mm-hmm. a catalyst is a person or an event that makes you realize you may not be as straight as you thought you were. And so some of the events, so, so there's the people that fall in love. Some of these people that have catalytic events are some people that get divorced, parents die, which is often a big factor for keeping people in the closet. Uh, The first time I started to explore that. And the second time it was one, one when my father died, one when my mother died. Uh, they, um, they may have cancer, their kids might be sick. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, whatever is like a really big shock to your system and it makes you evaluate. And then there's people like me. I was somebody who was sort of vaguely aware of my queerness and I would put it on a box in my shelf and I would take it out, out once in a while, like, because I would become attracted to someone that would last three or four weeks. There was such a pattern to it. Mm. And then it'd be over with, you know, because I'd yep. go back to my shell. Um, and it wasn't until I really acknowledged my queerness is that's when things changed for me. So there's a pattern with that. Yeah. Um, there's also a pattern when, with women, who get married. There's some people that never get married, but there are women that get married. And I always joke that we all married the same man. We tend to marry uh, men that are good providers. Um, Our great dads are seen as great dads, but are totally unemotionally, emotionally unavailable to us. Mm. And I think I've done a lot of thinking about that. And I believe it is because uh, that we are not emotionally available to ourselves. So we partner yeah. with somebody that's not emotionally available. And then we're I mean, seeking emotional. Ava- safe, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. It's a safety thing. And so those are typical patterns and there's other ones as too. And the coming out process, you know, there's some people that like what we call as femme in the LGBT community, TQ community. And they typically have to come out all the time because they're not the stereotype of what we think is queer or gay. Everyone's like, hey, you don't own dungarees. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. And so they, they just don't, they don't look what we think of somebody who's gay. So they have to constantly come out. Yeah. Um, School, work, kids, playgrounds. I mean, they do it all the time. So coming out is not a one and done process. Like every time I go out in the South here in the United States, I live in Nashville and like I mentioned my wife and I, and I do it as an act of rebellion mm-hmm. and, and um, I'm coming out because yeah. I mean, I could fall either way. If you saw me on the street, you would say, yeah, she's gay or maybe she, I mean, you know, they, I don't think it's like, it screams it. Like if you met my wife, you'd be like, oh, she's gay. <laughs> you know? I've got to be honest. My gay doll is awful. Is it? <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> like some of my gay friends are like, how did you not know they were gay? I'm like, oh, no, I don't really. I don't know if it's just that I'm not that I don't care, but you know, it it doesn't. I feel like other people's sexuality is really none of my business. So absolutely, I just kind of like, I don't know. I don't really. I guess I don't really think about it like you say. Unless somebody's, I don't know, exceedingly camp or exceedingly kind of flamboyant in some way that mm-hmm. makes you go, oh, okay, you know. I don't, I guess it doesn't really cross my mind too much. Well, yeah, my because, business. <laughs> but also too, we also have um, stereotypes in our mind yeah, true, of true, what true, somebody true. looks like if they're gay, if they look like they're trans or something like that or yeah, not. Absolutely. We yeah. have stereotypes. So if that person doesn't fit that stereotype, we don't think they're queer. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Something that we mentioned off, um recording as well was about community and culture and something that you shared was that you came from quite a conservative background and quite a religious background and I think that for a lot of people as well they might have um questions around that like the listeners you know in terms of it's not always I guess safe maybe for for some people to come out depending on where they're born depending on the culture that they're they're brought up Mm. in depending on the communities that they surround themselves with and sometimes you know coming out can really be met with um a lot of like resistance or um even violence in in some cases or or um negative reactions you know in in many different ways are there any tools or things that you teach or share that can maybe help people if they're struggling with those kinds of experiences where maybe they're up against their culture or their community or their church and they want to come out but maybe they don't know how to broach that or they're a bit scared of what might happen afterwards so um I like to think about it as letting in I use the term Mm -hmm. coming out just because everybody knows it it. yeah but letting in is where we take back the power Mm -hmm. We are not coming out to get approval from a society that is what we call in the queer world compulsory heterosexuality. We are letting people into our most private worlds that we may not think we're straight. Um, And so if you take back the power, that is a really important piece. So there are places that it's not safe to come out in. Mm -hmm. And so if it is like physically, like Ghana, for example, if it is physically not safe for you to come out, then please don't do it because you're more valuable to the world alive than you are um, not here. Um, One of the things I think is really important is to find community. Mm. So when you are queer and you live in a very conservative world, you are not going to most likely find support in the beginning. Family often doesn't understand that. And what I like to remind people is that when we are telling mom or dad, brother or sister, husband or wife, you know, or people that we deeply care about, sometimes they have absolutely no idea. And so we are sharing a part of ourselves. We are letting them into a part of themselves that may take them a little while Mm -hmm. to sort of get used to the idea. And so what I tell people is that people's first reaction is not their only reaction. So, so that is about family. Uh, um, Also too, I tell people that you need to find community. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of queer communities online. There's lots of Facebook groups. There's other places as well. Reddit has a lot. Discord, all of those 
platforms have queer communities. So if you do not have one in your neck of the woods and you're in a rural place in England or a rural place in the United States and it's hard to access access that, then you need to go online. That's what changed it for me. There is also queer community locally a lot of times. You just have to look for it. It's like Rachel mm-hmm. said, like you you sort of have blinders on to it until you open your eyes. So an LGBTQ business, um, like a business association, a community center, going to those and finding other people like you is super, super important. And also to not being afraid to sharing parts of yourself with people that you know will most likely give you a positive response because everybody deserves a full embrace. So a full embrace for me is when, so there's a half embrace. So you go and you tell your mom and dad you're gay or your husband or your wife and they say, or, or friends. And Mm -hmm. they say, Oh, wow. Thanks for telling me. How is X? How is your kids? How is your dad? You know, that's a half embrace. A full embrace is when somebody says to you, oh, my God, Rachel, thank you so much for telling me. I'm so proud you told me. Oh, I'm so happy for you. You finally found out who you are. This is amazing news. And that's a full embrace. And once you give a full, give somebody a full embrace, and this is for the allies, too, you will never, ever be satisfied with a half embrace and you'll sort of roll your eyes when you get one. Yeah. I remember yeah. one of my friends came out to me at my other friend's wedding and she hadn't told anybody. And she told me and I was like, oh my God, it's exciting. Like, I'm so yeah. happy for That's you. a great, that's a and, full embrace. And she was like, oh my God, don't tell anyone. I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone. It's your your business. It's nothing. But I was like, I'm really happy that you felt you could tell me. And she's like, I just knew you'd be excited. She was like, mm-hmm. I knew that you'd, I just wanted to test well, the water. And I was like, oh, and I felt as a friend, I felt really grateful that she thought that she could share that with me. Do you know what well, I mean? That's I mean, a wonderful advice. Felt like yeah. a really an honor thing that yeah. something that can be so difficult that can be, you know, that you're probably really fearful. And I guess the, the only thing that I've had that's similar, because, you know, with my sexuality, I kind of fit into the um, cultural norm. Mm-hmm. But like with my anxiety and my depression and when I would tell people that I had that and people were so shocked because I'm outwardly very good at masking and very good at kind of pretending everything's fine, even when underneath everything isn't OK at all. And I'll do all my kind of like suicidal feelings and whatever at home out the way of everybody. And so that kind of felt a bit like coming out sometimes when you'd say oh, I understand. I've got I... this mental health thing and then you'd be like, oh. Are people going to look at me different? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to think there's something wrong with me? Are they going to, you know, so I imagine, I don't, you know, it's probably different because there's lots of other things that are overlaid with it. But that, I guess for me, trying to well, I think assimilate we, that experience, it kind of had a similar well, feeling. Well, I think, I, I think when we ever, when we let people into our inner worlds and our mm. inner struggles and our inner joys, I mean, being queer is joyful. It, it, it is, it is vulnerable, mm. but it's also like what Brene Brown said is wholehearted living. I mean, we have to be vulnerable. We have to show our, I mean, we have to destigmatize mental illness. We have to destigmatize being queer. I mean, like, that's just like, to me now, my lens is such that having lived a straight life for such a long time, and now I'm married to my wife you know, I see the difference in how I get treated. Like Mm. someone who's been queer their entire life, they don't see the difference because they're used to it. Mm. But I see the difference. I feel the difference. And I want to say that, like, I just step back and be like, this is ridiculous. Like, Mm. you're going to treat me differently because who I share my life with? Mm. like, like Like straight people out there listening to this, you need to take a step back if you're like, oh, I can't be with friends with anybody who's gay. Uh, Rachel's being such an example of how you should be a friend to the queer community just by everything she said today. But you need to take a step back and say, why am I doing this? This is mm-hmm. like, this is ridiculous. You know, 
I shouldn't care who people spend their lives with. This is none of my business. I just, you know, it's just like, not. Yeah. I don't understand how it, I don't under, understand how it elicits so much rage from people sometimes. Cause I'm like, how is it affecting you? Like literally when that person goes home with their, you know, two wives together or two husbands together, or maybe three in a throuple together, or, you know, polyamorous relationships, whatever people are doing day to day, genuinely, how does that affect your, like to me? When I, when, so when I experience people that have real rage, mm. um, so for example, like some of the politicians here in the United States against mm. the community, I often feel they have those feelings themselves mm. and they don't know mm. what to mm. do with them. So they turn them outward to the world. Yeah, and I just want to mention piece. one thing Rachel mentioned when her friend came out to her. If you are a straight person and somebody comes out to you, this is not your story to share. Mm. And so what I love, Rachel said, she goes, I'm not going to tell anybody. This is your story, not mine. And, and that's what, when someone comes out to you, you really have to be thoughtful and don't go start sharing with your group of friends that, oh, Susie came out to me and she's gay now. This is Susie's story to share. Mm. It's, it's not your story to share. Yeah. And a lot of times, like, and as somebody, you know, I did that a couple of times when I was living my straight life. Um, I think because I was excited for that person and I was also maybe jealous and I have regret that I did that. That was not my story to share. Share. I think sometimes, like you say, though, that could come from a really good place where you're just excited and you're like, wow, they're like fully really Yeah, I know. And then mm-hmm. you kind of, you know, you want to almost like celebrate with them. But then mm-hmm. it might be that actually they weren't ready to tell everybody. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> And and in the beginning, those things, especially if somebody's later in life and later in life is self-defined. So my youngest people are 25 Mm. and my oldest people are over 70. Um, Mm. In fact, years ago, I was on a show with the BBC because there was some article that got a lot of play of some guy who came out when he was like in his 60s. So it was a big news for the BBC at the time. And and the thing is, is that. you know, the youngest person is 25 while the person, well, people are well over 70. And the thing is, is they, sometimes they're just telling a couple of people like Mm. you don't, they don't want the whole world to know yet. And it's just because it's a process. It's not because of shame or guilt. It's because it's a process of becoming comfortable with who you are now identifying as. Mm. And before you're ready to share it with the whole world, because Sometimes you're just not ready yet and that's okay. And sometimes you may tell a good friend, but you're not going to tell your mom and dad yet, Mm. you know? And so you have to really like respect the person's story and also understand that this is a process, Mm. an absolute process. And and I would say it takes a good five years. Yeah. I would love to know, because you shared um, that there were some differences in how you were treated as you know, in your straight marriage to how you're treated now with your wife. What are some of those differences that you've noticed? So this is this is where it gets hard because I'm also an older woman. I'm in my 50s. Um, and so I don't know if it's ageism or mm-hmm. being queer, mm-hmm. but like so when my wife and I go to a restaurant together and um, we always get seated in the back of the restaurant or by the bathroom never happened to me. I get pissed. I'm angry now. And so like, I'm like, I don't want to sit here. You need to move the table. And they do because I'm pretty intimidating. <laughs> I get angry. So those poor, you know, they're like, Oh, okay. And they move. But like, I, like my wife and I have been led through restaurants, empty restaurants and seated at the very back table by the bathroom. Mm. Um, and another, ins- there's been taught, tons of little ones but one most recently is that we shop at this store to get clothes and we go together and so she wasn't with me that time but they know who I am and so my daughter my oldest daughter was getting married and you know I started chatting with them about that now if back in my straight days um they would have been like so chatty with me and so you they would have just been different and they mm. were professional. They were not, it wasn't busy in the store or anything, but there was definitely like a coldness 
that would not have existed if they didn't know my wife existed mm. or they didn't, they would have been like, Oh, your daughter's getting married. Tell me all about it. You know? And so yeah. those are some of the things that I, we face. And also mm. too, like little things around like car repairs, uh, you know, uh, wedding venues when we got married, things like that, that would never have happened if I was marrying a man. Mm. Yeah, it's really difficult, I think, as well, because like you said before about stereotypes, I think a lot of people have a very clear stereotype of what a gay man is or what a lesbian is. Um, and when people maybe don't fit that that stereotype, it can be a bit confusing. And I think it's really important for people to understand just how diverse the queer community is and that, you know, it consists of so many different people from so many different identities orientations like mm. it's a fluid experience and it's fluid for a lot of people and then there's the, there's so many layers to it in terms of you know self-acceptance and self-discovery and being able to you know the identity piece like even in therapy when I work with people um with EFT and we kind of use this statement a lot in EFT even though whatever the thing is I love and accept myself anyway and I mm -hmm. think I what I love about that statement and why I think it's so powerful is you know even if you don't want to come out even if you're struggling with all this stuff you can still love and accept yourself anyway even if you're struggling with your mental health you can still love and accept yourself anyway and I think it can be really a tricky thing when well, I I can only imagine but you know imagine coming out in general is very very tricky and then also right having no that matter how old piece, you are it is no matter yeah. how old you are and then having that identity piece and especially I imagine as you get older because identity isn't just about you and how you feel about yourself but it's also the identity that other people have created of you of you yes. and so if you're the wife and you're married to I don't know whatever your husband's name was and you've got so many children and then suddenly you know it's for or maybe not suddenly for you but for other people you know suddenly oh now she's marrying a woman that changes your identity in their eyes as well and so that, well, there's absolutely. so many layers to it isn't there well yeah and try being a minister <laughs> we haven't even talked about that the religious but, layer this yeah. is yeah, I because mean, like when I tell people, like I, I'm a reverend. I don't use it, but I'm a reverend Anne Marie Zanzel, and 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 in my denomination, which is a very, it's United Church of Christ, which is a very progressive Christian denomination here in the United States. It was a blip. Nobody cared. It was also because I wasn't serving a church at the time. I think mm. it would have been more complicated if I was serving a church, but I was a, I was a chaplain, so yeah. I was you know, so it really didn't matter for them. So it was a literal blip, but in my home community in town, uh, I served two different churches on two different sides of a hill. One was an evangelical church and one was the UCC. And when I got ordained, both churches came together to celebrate my ordination. And when I came out really soon after the evangelical church was pretty horrified and distanced mm. themselves from me. Um, so that was a real loss because I really loved that community. I just yeah. didn't, like, I'm just not evangelical. And I was also not like, I didn't like how they treated women or queer people mm. in my straight life. So that's why I left that denomination. Uh, so that was really, really hard, you yeah. know? So, but I love doing the, when someone's being a real jerk to me, <laughs> I, I will, I will pull out the reverend because I just want to mess with their heads. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't use it. I don't use it professionally at all. I love that. What is one of the biggest learnings that you think you've had through your journey of coming out and especially later in life? Um, I think the biggest journey, my biggest learning, and I tell this to people all the time, is that to live a happy life, and it doesn't matter if you're gay or not, you have to learn to let go of the expectations of others. Mm. It across the board. Because when we learn, live our lives so we please others, we end the person we end up not pleasing often is ourselves. Mm. 
So that is the number one thing I learned. I often tell my community that I work with that you have to let go of other people's opinions because if you're going to live as an out queer person in this world, you have to not care what other people's things mm. think. And so learning, you know, leaving that behind, whew, that was hard, really hard because I'm a recovering people pleaser and a recovering codependent. So, and I'll always be in recovery for that, but it was really hard for me to let go of the expectations of others and also putting other people's needs before my own. And here I'm going to drop a bomb on you, even my children. <laughs> I love that. Even it's my interesting kids. one. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Um now I'm sure there's straight people and queer people out there saying, oh my gosh. So this is what I mean by that, is that our children deserve happy parents. Mm -hmm. And there is a narrative in this society that we have to stay together no matter what for the sake of ch the children. And yeah. because I have English clients, I realize how hard it is to get divorced in England. It's a five-year process. It's super hard to get divorced mm -hmm. in England. And this is the thing, is that when our children see parents fighting, arguing, drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, just being cruel to each other. What are we teaching our kids? Even if they're just being cruel to themselves. Yeah. Like what are we teaching our kids? Because mm. then what ends up happening is we create generations of children that perpetuate what we're doing yeah. already. And so when I say is that when you know in the deepest core of your being that you are unhappy and you know this marriage isn't working out, and I'm going to just stick with marriage right now, mm -hmm. and you just like, oh, I got a stage, I got to stick it out to the kids are, you know, and all these things like that. You, When we don't put our needs, our own needs before um, others, sometimes we end up hurting them inadvertently. Yeah. It, we're not doing it to hurt them on purpose, but if you are truly miserable in your marriage, you need to leave. Mm. You really do. Because marriage was set up as an institution when it was an agricultural society. And so <laughs> there are a lot of changes now. And, and also too, if you're unhappy in your marriage and you're like, oh, I can never get divorced because I can't afford it and all that. So let's see a solicitor, see a lawyer, like find out what your options are. So you really are making a decision based on real, real facts and not supposed facts. Yeah, I think I guess things have changed quite a lot as well, not only around divorce, you know, and how accept. Because, again, that's another taboo, really, isn't it? In a lot of communities to actually divorce is divorced. absolutely. Um, but also within kind of coming out, do you think there's been a lot of positive change over the last sort of 20, 30 years when it comes coming to out or divorce? Both. <laughs> I'm interested. I think there has been positive change in coming out, especially with people that are younger. Mm -hmm. uh, like, so 30% of Gen um, Z's um, identify as LGBTQIA+. I think we have given them because we have had visibility in the queer community, like they've seen queer couples on yeah. TV shows. They've seen queer romances. They've, you know, they've just had yeah. such exposure to it. Um, I think that for that, I think, yes, it has changed, but those kids still have a lot of resistance. Sometimes yeah. they have to put up with, you know, people are really, and also too, there's like, I had a client recently, she's only 30. She came out to her family. Um, her mother and father, they reacted incredibly poorly, mm. really poorly. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, it's okay if it was, you know, when their friend's kids came out, they were okay with it. But when their daughter came out, they were really, really um, horrified with that. And also too, this is someone who's getting divorced. She's divorcing her husband and they're also horrified by that. So I think even divorce is still really stigmatized in a lot of communities. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the religious fundamentalist evangelical communities, you get kicked out of the church just yeah. for getting divorced. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, yeah, you know, out then, you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even, you know, but I'm saying, even if you're like, if you're a woman in an abusive marriage in those communities, fundamentalism, some of the like more conservative evangelicalisms, I mean, the thinking around that is that you stay in your, mm. because that's where God has put you and, and you need to serve your husband. And if you serve him, your husband and make him happy, then you won't feel these feelings. It is a really, I've had some like super fundamentalist evangelical women on my podcast and it like my mouth falls open in horror of the things that they've been taught, mm. you know, because it's really it's still there too, Rachel. Mm. I mean, it's still there. It's not gone. No, it's definitely not. Um, you've been working with people in, in crisis for a really long time, right? Whether that's people that are starting to come out later in life, whether it's through your work in the hospice. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. There was, um, a study done. I wish I'd had the exact, uh, quote, but it was people that worked in hospices and it was like most people's regrets, of how they lived when they were dying yeah and it was something like I think it was the top one or, or it was definitely in the top five was exactly what you were sharing I wish I'd been who I truly was and I wish I hadn't tried to people please as much you know, yeah you I actually think, just wow. if you follow me on my Facebook page I just wrote that I wrote a I really five, it wasn't may not have been me I mean people write that stuff all yeah the yeah time. yeah but I just wrote that and one of the things that from hospice is people don't regret the things they've done. Mm -hmm. They don't, they often re because if they've done something, um, harm or badful or, mm -hmm. or bad, or sometimes they learn to make their peace with it, or mm -hmm. they learn to forgive themselves or they, they, they sort of put it in context and they realize why they made that decision at that time. People regret the things they haven't done. Mm -hmm. They, they so regret the things they haven't done. And so, in my own personal experience, I do believe working with hospice is one of the reasons why I came out is that I knew that my emotional, spiritual, physical, and intellectual needs were not going to be met by my husband. And in mm. fact, when we were together, he would say things to me like that is if you need that, then you need to be with a woman because, and, and he couldn't give that to me. Plus he was emotionally unavailable too, but the thing is, is that I knew that I didn't want my end my life without at least exploring this. I didn't, mm -hmm. when I started this, I had no idea where I was going to end up. You know, I thought maybe I was just going to explore this and then go back into my marriage. Um, one of the common things that happen with people coming out later in life, there's a discussion with husbands and three things happen. You know, they give them permission to go and explore which I sort of roll my eyes at because if they wanted to go explore with a man, they'd never get that permission. Um, they're allowed to go and explore. They talk about open marriage. They talk about polyamory without really understanding what polyamory is. Mm. And also to, oh, my apologies. Um, they also um, talk about a threesome. Mm -hmm. And, and some people do all, some of those things are all of those things. So I think it's important to stress as well that, you know, I think from a straight perspective, it's very easy to look at being gay as just a sexual act. Oh God, no. And it's not, it's, it's love. It's relationship. It's exactly the same as straight relationships. You know, it's all those other elements that you have within a, you know, a relationship. It's not necessarily just the you know, oh, I'll stay married to a guy, but I'll just go and have sex with a woman a couple well, of times. It's like, well, if you're an actual lesbian, that's not really going to cut it. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Rachel, like what I say to people. So there's people that are curious. Yeah. Um, my wife calls women like that. There's straight women that will sleep with women because they're curious. And my yeah. wife calls them 68s. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's like, you uh, can I you do me and I'll owe you one. <laughs> but in reality, you know, even people when they're just coming out, they think it's just about sex. Mm. They think that, oh, well, if I go sleep with some women or a man, you know, um, you know, then I'll figure it out. Mm. And what it is not, it's so not about sex. It is, you know, I mean, like it is in the sense that, you know, that's how your sexual needs get met. Yeah. But, but, I like when I came out, 
you know, sex was a byproduct that, you know, and I was, I was curious and I wanted to explore that and all those things. And when I did, it was, it was the right, you know, I finally was realized I was with the right person for my sexual orientation. Uh, But like my emotional needs get met by a woman and a man just can't do it just because how they're built and there's nothing wrong with them. It's just how they're built. Um, my wife is like my intellectual needs get, um, met by her. She, she's the news reader in the morning. So I'm working and she reads the news to me. And also too, we have very, we're very politically aligned. We have very similar belief systems. Well, my ex-husband and and I, I mean, my ex-husband thought Trump was entertaining and I was horrified. So, you know, we were just not aligned that way. And not all men are like that, but in my case so it is so not like it's so not just about sex Mm. it's just not I know that you've got lots of different things that you're wanting to explore now as well so what's next for you um so I've been working with my later in life community now for a while and Rachel and I talked about this you know when you're in the coaching world sometimes you just get or in the help caregiver world you just like you get bored or it is like, ah, it's the same thing over and over again. And about, and I was telling her before the podcast, we started taping that, like when I was in hospice a year or two before I left hospice, I was like, oh my God, I've heard this story before, or, oh my God, I can't sit with another family. Why they're, why their love, mem- their loved one dies. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew it was time to leave, but it took me a couple of years to do it. And also, interestingly, I felt really small and I felt like I had something more to give to the world. And I don't usually talk about that, but I'm like, this is, I got to do something different. I just can't do this. And so the same thing has happened with my like later in life group. I don't feel small. I love them. I will continue to work with them. I do a group coaching program. And so my hours working is gone less and less, but I love yeah. my community. I'll never stop doing that. But I realized that in this five years that I've been becoming a coach that I've gained some really valuable skills. So if you're somebody who has a vision of a business you want to create online, I am your person because I really help people to get, I love working with queer people. I also love working with allies. If somebody like Rachel showed up, I'd be like, come on over. (laughs) Um, But this is the thing is I work with people, people often in the beginning stages um, don't, they know what they want to do something, but they're just not quite sure. So mm-hmm. I work with clarity, clarity, visibility, um, branding, and also valuing what you're worth. I find that women typically don't value what they're worth. And so I really wanted to, and even men do too. too. Yeah. So I really want to teach people to value what they're worth. And so it's sort of the next iteration of my coaching business. And, and I have, I, I have learned so much this year that I, have never learned before because I hired a coach that's an uh, expert in sales. So I'm learning mm-hmm. about sales that like things about sales that I've never learned because um, I want to teach, I want to teach people like me, yeah. other professionals that have something to give yeah, and are tired of doing what they're doing now. Yeah. But they know they have another, you know, another good 10 years of work within them. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. And it's, it's exciting, exciting and it's working. Um, it's also stressful because as you know, whenever we make a big leap, that's when the universe throws all kinds of things at us. And so yes. I'm making this leap from being, you know, a six figure entrepreneur to being, I would like to be a seven figure. And so this leap has been like, one of the, it's been pretty painful. And I don't think if I had come out, hadn't come out, would I trust the process so much? Mm. I know I the process works. Uh, uh- I can't claim this because it's actually a, a woman Sushma that I know and she's a healer and she talks about um, when birds fly between the thermals and in between the thermals there's loads of turbulence and it's kind of like and then you get to the next thermal and you can cruise again and I think that's you know like when you say oh, the universe kind of chucks all that stuff I think it's when you're sort of yeah, going to and, the next level it's like well oh. yeah every time because we are so like we are we're in our comfort zones and then we want to go to the next level and the first thing outside our comfort zone is fear so yeah. we have to sort of like work through the fear now what i'm saying is that my coming out process like 
I laid in the fetal position for six months before I finally made a move. And so like, I realized that fear is just a failing and that I, when I am afraid, afraid, I have to navigate through that fear Mm. because on the other side, there will be great things. And so I know that from personal experience now. So whether you're gay or straight or starting a business, whatever you're doing, you just have to work through those levels, those vibrations, because they're there to teach us. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. I guess the last question is, what's one thing that you wish you'd known about coming out that you didn't know that you'd love to share? I wish I had known it was okay to be gay Mm. and that there was a community when I was young. Oh, I felt that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, because I didn't. Yeah. And I don't know why I'm crying. Okay. (laughs) Um, But. I was just, just didn't know. And, you know, um, I would have been nice to have found my people when I was in my twenties, because women my age typically came out in their twenties they weren't teenagers because it was a different time. Mm. And, you know, like it would have been lovely to raise my children with my wife. Um, it would have just been different. My ex-husband was a lovely father and everything like that. It just would have been different and yeah. I would have been happier. Oh, wow. You, you managed it. And lots of people, did. lots of people don't ever get to that point, you know? Yes. And, and, and I want to say that, so this story is about my coming out, but it, it doesn't matter this. If you are not living your authentic life, no matter what it is, like you've always wanted to be an artist and you're stuck working, making widgets at the computer factory. You need to go through towards your truth because, and it's scary and it's hard and, but you need to go towards your truth because that is the only thing that authentic living is the only thing that will bring you true happiness. Yeah. And it's not like I run around with drag, like, uh, unicorns and big rainbows all the time. I mean, life is still hard. And Waving your rainbow wrong. flag down yeah, the road every I'm day. <laughs> you know, like you can see me right now. I'm in my office and, you know. Um, but the thing is, is that like, it's not that everything's perfect by now, by any stretch of the imagination. But my solidness, my core, like when I have a bad day, like when I was married to my ex-husband, I would like, I spent most of the marriage thinking, should I leave? Mm. And like, I don't think that now. That yeah. just doesn't even come up for it me. It frees up the brain space. This is what I say to a lot of my clients that I work with. Often if they've got anxiety or they're super stressed about things, you know, or even with the clients that I work with that have got depression, a lot of the time, it's because things aren't right in your life somewhere and changes, you know, changes need to happen. And that's a scary place to be in. Like you say, when you're coming out of your comfort zone or whatever, Mm -hmm. you you know, you think, how am I going to make the money if I make that change or what would happen to this? Or, you know, there's so many layers to it, but I agree. If you can somehow find the courage and the confidence to just follow that, often very quiet voice that's just saying like hey start a podcast right <laughs> like, I know hey do this it's like oh my god there's so much freedom on the other side well so- and also too a lot of the women I work with suffer from lifelong anxiety and depression and they when they come out it often lessens yeah. and it's not as bad and this is two anecdotal things but I had one woman that had MS and when she came out, it went into remission and then went away. And I had one woman who had alopecia when, you know, when you lose your hair, her hair grew back. Mm. So our bodies know, our bodies know, our bodies know when we're not living our truth, damn them. Mm-hmm. Oh, Anne-Marie, it's been such a pleasure having you here yes. and having this conversation. I could literally talk. I was like, how long can we have this episode? I can talk to you for so long. Well, can I tell you, Rachel, I want yeah. to tell you something and I want your listeners to hear it. I have been interviewed by 
so many people and and you have been the most amazing ally that I have met because you get it and like this was so last minute and the universe started us us together but I have never I have never heard an ally speak like you said all the right things Oh, thanks. <laughs> so I really, but yeah, but, but regarding coming out and about yeah. being queer for somebody who's straight, you did a great job. So I oh, really, really you. appreciate that. I try to educate myself where I can on mm-hmm. things that maybe don't affect me, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you don't always, you're not always going to get it right. And so I think this sometimes with this podcast, I think, oh my God, you know, by the time I get to like episode 300, probably episode one and two and three and whatever, I'll be thinking, God, what was I saying? <laughs> I know you get better and better at this as you go along. Like, the, and, and I like, it's funny because the things I would have talked, like, I know how to cut people off now. <laughs> Redirect. I'm like, sometimes, you know, so you just have, you know, like, Learn that's as you okay. Go. Yeah. Well, there's probably loads of people listening to this who are thinking, oh my God, how do I get in touch with Anne-Marie? So if, if there's people listening and they're thinking they want to either get in contact with you about maybe a business idea that they've got and they want some help with that, or if they want to maybe join your later in life community how um what's the best way for people to to get in contact with you the best way to get in touch with me i'm all i'm on facebook instagram tiktok all those but the best way is go to my website it's my name annemariezanzel.com that's a n n e m a r i e z a n z a l and find me there there's what loads of ways to get in touch with me there Fab. and i will put all the links below as always thank you so much for being here and as always thank you to you guys the listeners because without you this wouldn't exist um if you can please do like subscribe share on whatever platform you're listening or watching this on because it really does help us reach more people and hopefully change more people's lives thanks again for listening and i will see you again very soon much love We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as Rachel enjoys making this podcast. Why not share it with a friend in need of some heartwarming inspiration? And if you really love it, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts as it really helps us reach and inspire more people. Thanks for listening. 